We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world in both the ring and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who make him the boxer and the man he is. It's all about the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, family life, all that good stuff. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays right here on Blue Wire. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. All right, Panthers fans, another edition of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis, Billy Marshall, as we take a close dive into what happened on Sunday in uh, Bank of America Stadium. Uh, the Panthers fall by six to the Chicago Bears, and uh, a lot to digest as we dive into all the nuts and bolts of what happened. Billy, how you doing? What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I just want to correct you. Was they actually lost by seven. By seven, they did, didn't they? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and every point makes a difference. 23-16, good catch there. Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, two-possession game at one point. Another uh, 
one of those games you're going against an uh, opponent that uh, has a, a stout defense, much like they did against Tampa. I thought the game reflected a lot of those similarities, but uh, I guess just opening up your general thoughts on what happened uh, in Charlotte on Sunday. Yeah, so it, it definitely seemed like a game that Chicago is in control of. I know the final score was close, and I think that's partially a credit to the Panthers and fighting back, but also Chicago just really not um, taking their hand off the break in some ways. But overall, I just felt that Carolina was outmatched offensively. Chicago's defense just really did not, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I just feel like Chicago's defense really controlled the game. And that was essentially the story of how the entire game went, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was like a tough loss, like, you know, Oakland or Las Vegas game was more of a tough loss because he had a chance there. It was just a bad call right. on fourth down. Uh, but this game, I, I did feel like a little bit, even though the Panthers probably in their, uh, they out gained Chicago. I, I just felt like Chicago really had control of this game from <laughs> the first play of the game, actually, yeah, when right. they sacked Bridgewater <laughs> exactly. uh, up until Nick Foles took a knee at the end of the game. Yeah, you posted the video of the uh, you know the early turnover there that uh, the Bears were able to to get, and that's tough. They start the game with a, the holding penalty on the kickoff. Of course, uh, when you receive first, the pressure's on to make some hay there on your first drive, and that's a terrible way to start. Yeah, and uh, when you need to differentiate on special teams to get an edge against better opponents, you, you don't want to go backwards. And obviously, right out of the box, there, you know, they run a stunt, and uh, Carolina's offensive line, which has been credited for giving up zero sacks in the last mm-hmm. two games. I think you're starting to see, look, I think scheme and uh, Bridgewater's quick release has a lot to do with that because when going against an opponent with a, a more potent rush, uh, there were some problems and uh, they yeah. got to Bridgewater and then they got the pressures. But I guess we, we start right there, you know, offensively and we can dive into the trenches, which we will. But if, if you don't mind, give me your impressions on some of the quarterback play from uh, from the game Sunday. You know, Bridgewater has been, you know, given a lot of praise. I, I've been giving him my share in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, playing above expectations uh, in, in terms of some of these games. But again, the, the competition got tougher, and you saw, uh, like, very much in the Tampa game, mm-hmm. uh, some of the reads and throws just weren't quite there. What were your thoughts on Bridgewater uh, from first quarter on? Yeah, so I think it's important to always look at how the team does offensively when you're evaluating quarterback play. Sure. And, you know, starting with that, I just felt like the offense was not in a sink. And looking at the all 22, it just, they weren't able to create separation. The past concepts were simply just not working. Chicago really diversified their coverages in the back end. They played a lot of cover six and uh, they did a lot of late rotations, which caused a ton of confusion per, for Bridgewater on the offense. But I also think, and we'll get to this when we talk about the receivers, is they did miss Curtis Samuel because you need that extra field stretcher to, hope, to help open up other parts of the field. But overall, speaking specifically on Bridgewater, um, so he wasn't helped in, in some ways by uh, by the coaching in that respect. I, I'm not trying to blame Joe Brady. I understand that it, it's a very difficult job when one of your receivers who's very key to the offense um, is not playing. And then you're obviously playing with, in my opinion, that's still an average offensive line and you're still not, you're without McCaffrey, but we can debate the value of him later. However, mm-hmm. uh, speaking specifically on Bridgewater, which is, I know your original question, he was... Okay. I wouldn't say this was the worst game in the world I've seen from a quarterback. It wasn't. I think my biggest issue, and it comes back to what I said earlier about the offense not being able to create openings for the receivers, is he hesitated too much at times. He did a little too many pump fakes instead of just letting the ball go. And that 
at times I sort of empathize with him because when he did try to release those, you know, whether it's to Anderson or Moore, those guys were really tightly covered. They just weren't creating separation. And Robbie Anderson's been really good at doing that. And he just wasn't able to. And I think that comes down to a little bit of coaching because they were using Anderson a little bit, you know, questionably in my opinion, but I mean, Bridgewater still, he made some decent moves to uh, scramble and pick up first downs. But obviously when it comes down to it, you have to make the big plays in the game. And the biggest play of the game was that fourth down that I felt he underthrew DJ Moore. Uh, yeah. Now, some people can say it was a drop. Some people can also say that DJ Moore should have kept running instead of reaching out. Uh, but I felt like the quarterback should be placing that ball way near the sideline. Uh, and it just, they couldn't execute. Uh, so overall, I thought Bridgewater was okay. It, in my opinion, was not his worst game. I know the metrics will sh- will say it was. But I do think that, you know, in, in spite of the circumstances, this is where you can really determine if a quarterback can be the guy in the future and elevate you right overcoming yeah. overcoming those issues i mean you yeah, see those quarterbacks in the, in the league do that so i totally agree i think see performance I'm, yeah and i think that's fair you know for for his standards i think that's a good grade and we talked about this in the offseason what, what what to expect from teddy and it's played out that way i mean i think it's pretty fair to say that you know you you dive into some of the high level metrics that you know the, the media pushes out and you got to be weary of the completion percentage stuff because you got to dive into how is he doing situationally and how is he doing against certain opponents like uh, you know Tampa for instance and and certainly Chicago would fit that bill in terms of their ability to get pressure with four uh scheme it up uh, coverage wise i think Chicago did a really good job you made the point they played a lot of cover 6 and i think in doing so they they were able to give Bridgewater a lot of different looks they clamped down on the intermediate stuff i think in certain situations and that took Teddy a little bit out of his comfort zone but to your point that throw on four down that's the play everybody's talking about now i've seen bill vote from panthers.com you know he speculated based on some of the tea leaves he was reading in the post game that that was a miscommunication issue i'm looking at it's a four by one and they've got the safety right where they want him i I can't think of any other route that would be that's a corner route to me that was the best schemed play of the entire game right exactly so if that's a miscommunication then I don't even want to comment if that's a miscommunication because well, the guy was wide open. And again, that's unconfirmed, but that, that's based on a team source kind of giving us an insight into what he thinks. And I think really what it comes down to, they're coming out of a two-minute warning. If there's miscommunication, mm-hmm. that's still bad too. I mean, you've got to make sure you're on the same page coming out of a two-minute warning with the play. You've got data for that. I thought it was great. They came out. They kind of had a little muddle huddle quick to the line, and Bridgewater got the snap off, and it was there, man. He beat his guy right off the line, and it just looked like a seven route that he missed to the outside. And, I, you know, what, what are you going to do? It happens, but but that's where you need a quarterback that can elevate you in those key situations. And we've seen now twice this season where Teddy's had an opportunity to in late in games to, to be able, even with a little pressure in that Tampa game, but not so much in the Chicago game in terms of, you know, pocket, he had a pocket there and he just misfired. I think that's how I looked at it. Yeah. But, and uh, a couple of things, I, I'm not going to blame him for the interception at the end. That's just a really difficult situation. You just have to make a play. It's sure. whatever. I mean, that, those are all already, that's already a very difficult situation for him to, um, you know, come back from. So, but I I just think like that play, it's schemed up perfectly. And if, yeah, I don't even know where this idea is coming from that it was a miscommunication. I mean, maybe DJ is supposed to run it out. Not maybe I don't know what he would do. That's right into the safety's lane there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that, that, that's, doesn't make sense to me, but I'll just leave it at that. I, I thought sure, it was, but... I'll just say it's a missed opportunity. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ron, <laughs> the riverboat talk is back. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I hate to see them 
get in a position where they can go down there and, and tie a game. But again, it's growing pains. It's a team that still has a lot to piece together. It was an odd week. Of course, they were in sort of the intensive protocol for COVID. And you don't know if that might have had an impact in terms of preparation. But every every team seems to be going through a little bit of that. So you can't really make excuses. Uh, it's a tough year. And, uh, you know, they're three and three. So let's not get too overwhelmed by things like that, I suppose. If you look at the offensive line, what were your thoughts there up front? I know they had a challenging uh, opponent they faced. Uh, the commitment to the running game, I thought, was a, a little bit okay, I guess. I mean, they ran the ball 29 times, but eight of those was Bridgewater. They ran the ball a lot, Billy, on first down, a ton. Um, yeah. I, I'm not loving that, and I just thought the play calling was a little stale. We'll get to that. But in terms of the O-line, did anything stand out to you in terms of protections or run blocking? Yeah, certainly. And I, I predicted this on the preview with Brad, Yeah. and I said that Chris Reed is the weak link, and if you run stunts on the left side – you're going to most more often than not really take advantage of um, some issues with the Panthers to, uh, offensive line. And they did. I mean, in the first quarter, first half, they had two sacks um, with uh, the bears had two sacks coming off stunts on the left side of the line. And that really caused issues because Reed is not quick enough to pass off the defensive tackle. And then, you know, quickly shuffle back and get in front of the defender. He's just not right. quick enough. Oh, cool. At times, I, Okung was pretty slow on one, but he he did kind of recover, but it, it wasn't as ideal as you like. But I think the biggest issue right now with the offensive line remains Chris Reed. And I, I just hope that they at least explore other options because when it comes to pass blocking, he, he's just going to be too easily. And that's just Mario Edwards, their, one of their defensive linemen. Uh, he also just really took it to Chris Reed and, and pass protect a mm-hmm. few times uh, he did a couple stab club moves where he just easily gets off the line of scrimmage and blows past him within like one and a half seconds and teddy has a guy in his face uh, i mean outside of that i mean you had cleo mack on the other side of going against moton so it's no surprise that moton probably didn't have his best game of the year obviously i thought he was fine but still you're going to give up pressures to cleo mack and then uh, robert quinn really bothered um Russell Kunk. So, I mean, yeah. th- those are that, that's a really good defensive line uh, in Chicago. So, that really shouldn't have been surprising. But I, I think I was just a little disappointed with uh, how they weren't able to prepare fully with um, Chicago stunts because I could see it coming from a mile away that this is what they're going to do to really force the weak link of, of their offensive line to be exposed. And they did. Yeah, they did. When you look at the the totals here from the game, obviously, if you go to PFF and look at some of the grades, I know you and I kind of lean on that for some fundamental guidelines as to how these guys may have performed. And uh, Reed was by far the lowest grade in terms of pass blocking. So you're spot on with how you're viewing that from the film perspective. And the other uh, the other four guys were graded fair to good in terms of their pass blocking. But again, it uh, it was a tough opponent. And and I, I think to your point, if, if it comes down to scheme, uh, there's no excuses to not be ready for that, but if it comes down to just getting overwhelmed by talent, um, maybe it's just an indicator too that Carolina, you know, what we've kind of talked about this, just are not quite as talented up front as we think. Uh, but you know, I thought Paradis played well overall. Um, I thought Oakley yeah. did fine. I thought Moten did fine, but again, Chris Reed really was uh, was the weak link there. And if you're coming into the season thinking, you know, he is the guy. At left guard, you know, obviously they're concerns. What, what what's going on with Dennis Daly? What are your thoughts there? Is this a guy that they, they would maybe consider putting back in there at guard at some point? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the deal is with him, and that's no knock on him. I mean, he was drafted one this sixth round yeah. a couple years ago, so for him to even still be on the roster is a testament to him. But 
I don't know. You have to switch something up, I think. I mean, especially if it happens again. And I'm sure we'll get into this with a Saints preview, but that New Orleans (laughs) defensive line is really, really good in the interior. They know how how to get after it, and they do the same kind of stuff, man. They uh, they run stunts and twists and play games Mm -hmm. up there, and uh, they get you off guard. So an offensive line uh, sort of overview there. I thought that, you know, the running game, Mike Davis 2.9, you know, again, I don't think there was much there. To, to break down Bridgewater right. did some nice things on what Matt rule calls the FIO plays, figure it out. You know, I think he did a good job of getting some yards. I'm a little concerned of him taking some of these hits. I don't want to sound like one of these. He's not sliding either. He's not sliding either. He's doing the camp thing where he's sort of tumbling and, and running into it. And I, I'm a little concerned about that because not just because of his injury history, but concussions are right there in front of you. And you're one hit away from, you know, either <laughs> Will Greer or PJ Walker. And at that point, you can really start considering a tank job. Of, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they got to keep the quarterback clean. Uh, obviously, it's a combination of things. But, you know, Mike Davis uh, did some decent things. He was not a factor in the pass game at all today or on Sunday. And I think that was part of the difference here. He's been such a big part of supplementing McCaffrey's loss. And with Samuel out, they just had so few quality options by taking Davis out of the game. And, and of course, we'll get to the tight ends. There's just no production there either. So uh, you've got mainly mm-hmm. Chicago's looking at it scheme-wise. You've got Robbie. You've got DJ. Let's zone in on that and uh, make them beat you. And obviously, yeah. they made some good plays as we kind of shift to, you know, I guess the receiving core here. Your thoughts on, you know, DJ. Obviously, he was targeted 11 times. A lot of conversation about the drops. Uh, let's start with him. Your thoughts on DJ in this game. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought he played fine. I mean, he did drop another pass that I thought should have been caught. But outside of that, it's really difficult to assign too much blame with him, in my opinion. I know the target count can be a little inflated, right. but my issue was just the structure of the offense was not there. I mean, you go back – I mean, I recommend anyone who has NFL Game Pass just turn on the All-22, and it doesn't really take a, you know, a PhD-level NFL course to realize they were not getting open against the bears yeah they just weren't the bears coverages were very very on top of you know the panthers scheme they chuck pagano had them figured out and that's just that was a difference and the bears were allowed to tee off with their front four and it really just put carolina in an uncomfortable situation um, now i think that's a combination of factors i think the main factor is maybe um, you know curtis samuel's injury played a big role because they weren't able to run screens and samuel could take the top off where he right. um you know attracts multiple defenders and then that way you can run a screen on the weak side and really help open up lanes but yep. i i also think just the screen game in general for the past few weeks it's been getting a little figured out right um, so they have to, to really diversify how they get the running back touches in the passing game yeah so yeah more, i mean more i mean five- Go ahead. No, sorry. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I stand. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important now than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit for free at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Yeah, Moore had five for 93. He was targeted 11, but again, that can be deceiving. Five for 93. Had a couple of big plays there. One down the boundary I thought was a very good sort of contested catch uh, on the nine route. Anderson, uh, four for 77. You'd like to see more receptions from his end. But again, I think to your point, a lot of it comes down to, you know, Samuel and not being able to take the pressure off on third down for Bridgewater. He's been a big third down guy this year. He made some big plays against Arizona in that regard. And uh, I think if he's not out there catching it, he's pulling, you know, coverages away from the other guys. And uh, that was obviously an issue by looking at the film. Uh, You've looked at more of it than I have at this point, but uh, definitely I've seen enough to know that, Chicago was able to do what they wanted coverage wise. And they, uh, they had great success. I think Samuel's absence was a, a key part of that. And, you know, the, the tight ends, I, I don't know if this is a situation where it's the Dan Henning experience all over again, where it's going to be like a Chris Mangum deal. You just don't value the tight end in the receiving game. Can you kind of take us inside the X's and O's here, as far as what you see, what, what's the issue in terms of the lack of targets at the position? Is it the, is it the talent level? Is it just, they're not committing to it? Is it a decoy issue? What, what is Carolina doing in terms of the tight end, in the receiving game that would concern you, or can you help explain the lack of production there? Sure. So, and this probably requires a deeper dive, but just for my initial impressions, they're really not using them as well as they should. A lot of it is just really route concepts under 10 yards. It's a lot of short outs, you know, intermediate or curls, um, you know, some drag routes here and there, some flat routes. They're really not, scheming them up and by, by that i mean you know have the Thailand run down the seam so they can track multiple safeties and that way you can run a uh, you know a dagger concept in the middle of the field open up yeah. for dj and that yeah. way when a safety bites on that dagger concept you have the tight end running right down the field yeah i mean that's what that's what the mike shula used to do how do you think greg yep. Olson get all that production down the seam that's it. i mean it's right now it's just and this isn't a knock on brady's offense you look at sean payton how he uses the tight end yeah. i mean jared cook is you know one of the best in the league at um, you know, receiving the ball. I mean, yeah. Sean Payne's been able to scheme up production from tight ends, uh, guys like Will Hill and a few other guys I don't even know of throughout his career. Yeah, so, but they're always making play, whether it's Graham, whether it's, you know, over the years, whether I mean, you from a guy what, like Cook, sure. I mean, I mean, from, there's, always, there's always a guy stretching the field of the tight end position. Yeah, I thought some of that influence might work its and, way into this, and it still might, but it's just to this it, point we've right. not seen it. And, so, and from what I've seen on tape, just speaking specifically here, is that I don't really see the tight end being an issue, if that makes sense. The I don't player, see the, him the like, pers- like the yeah, actual well, player just in general. Man hurts and Thomas. I don't see them running bad routes. Right, right. I don't see them like being lazy. I mean, they're working really hard as blockers. They are, yeah. Even they Thomas are. is not really known for as you know a blocker. He's working his butt off in He's the improved. run game and pass game. He's improved a lot there. You're so right. It is definitely, in my opinion, not a. Uh, an effort issue with these guys. I think it's just more of like the schematic. I just don't think they're really utilizing them as probably as well as they should. So that's yeah. probably something that they have to reconsider. Well, I think so. They rank 31st in the league right now in tight end production as far as receptions go. And a lot of that, like you said, is underneath flat, uh, occasional little drag route, but uh, they're just not, they're not getting them as involved as you'd like. And uh, maybe that changes as we uh, push over to the defense. One last uh, nugget to look at here, third down efficiency. 
Uh, Chicago was 50%. Carolina was 23%. That's not a good uh, margin, of course. So offensively, you know, you, you're going against a good defense. We've beat that drum, but you got to be able to produce better than 23% offensively on third downs. And I think a lot of that comes back to, and I, I guess maybe just to end the, the note on offense, your thoughts, did you feel like it was a little more on first down in terms of, of con- conservative stuff? I mean, there's a red zone issue too here, Billy. We can talk about to dovetail off that, but I, I just think a lot of Mike Davis's runs – came on first down. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was over, uh, it was over 75, 80% of his production on in terms of carries was on first down. And the team was over 60%. If you include eight from Bridgewater was over 60% running on first down in terms of carry share. So I just think that's a little excessive. Yeah. I mean, Khalil Mack, Mario Edwards, Bilal Nichols, John Jenkins, right. Akeem Hicks. Those guys are really, really, really stout run defenders. I mean, they do some good things in the past game, particularly Mac. But overall, those guys, they, they really know how to play with leverage. They really make you earn your way at the line of scrimmage. And you got to put your big boy pants on and come to play because those guys are just not going to let you gain easy yards at the line of scrimmage. But, yes, I did feel like they overdid it at times with the early down runs. And that's been an issue that I've voiced uh, for a couple of weeks now with Brady. He's, he's got to really stop that. He's got to do some more play action and uh, get their linebackers you know, committing to the run so that can open up options down the field. So yes, I I do think Davis had an, I mean, the production obviously wasn't great, but I did think that he made a couple nice runs here and there. What does McCaffrey bring when he comes back? How do you think that's going to look with Mike Davis? Obviously we can't get into Joe Brady's head. Um, and we, we, we won't have the debate tonight about how to pay a running back because I think you and I both understand what that's all about, and we agree. But um, where, what do you see? Because it looks like he's coming back against Atlanta Thursday. That's the target. He's already been ruled out for this week. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the proper way to get him involved and the, the, maybe the carry share with Davis? And do you think it's going to drastically improve the production, particularly in the red zone here? It should definitely help the red zone issues. Um, yeah, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm not really too sure what to expect, you know, as a whole right now. I mean, we have two games with him playing and I mean, the usage of him is pretty similar to what we've seen him, um, you know, in 2018, 2019. So I don't really expect too much change, um, with the offense as a whole. They're probably going to use him more as a receiver, um, if I were to guess and maybe cut down on his, um, you know, high usage as just a running back. Uh, but overall, I do think it will help the red zone. Um, and if it doesn't, then we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks and <laughs> well, really try to, have to assign blame. Yeah, 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 that's that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> we're the blame assigners. Uh, speaking of uh, assigning blame, um, we can assign a little credit here, I think. You know, obviously, Chicago's offense, they have their struggles. I wasn't that impressed by Nick Foles, obviously. I think he made a really questionable throw there on the chin interception you know good uh, good credit to Carolina interior uh, guys there Zach Kerr Derek Brown for getting the pressure and had four guys chasing him out but overall I didn't think Foles played that great that spectacular and I think their running game it was well chronicled I think you might have talked about it in the preview how they're one of the worst teams as far as running production Mm -hmm. in the league and I you know I like what Carolina was able to do defensively in a lot of ways but again I, I don't think it's a great measuring stick let's just start defensively your thoughts on the entire game and then we'll go position by position uh I mean I thought they played a good football game uh it certainly did not help that the offense gave the defense two short fields to defend Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, speaking specifically about the 
uh, you know, the interception, the first drive yeah. of the game, and right then Mike the, Davis fumbled right, right out of the gate. Yeah, the, you know, I mean, you had the Davis fumble too, which fortunately Carolina was able to, um, you know, take it back away from them. But even right. then, you, that interception that Chen made, uh, it pushed Carolina like already really back in their own territory. That when you know they punted it, Chicago started pretty, you know pretty near midfield and they were able to drive down. So really Chicago's offense, it was fine. They only had like 4.1 yards per play. Uh, I think a product of that is due to the field position that they were able to get. And that sort of just helped them in some ways. But I I do think that Carolina's defense, uh, they had multiple times to get off the field. Um, You know, the game was 20 to 13 or uh, excuse me. Yes. It was 20 to 13 and it was third down. Russell Douglas had a really good game, uh, yeah, but you know I posted this clip on Twitter. Allen Robinson was a deep dig route, cover two man, and Douglas can hold up, and you know, Robinson's catching that in route for a fifteen to twenty yard gain and yeah. move the chains. Chicago gets the field goal, makes it twenty three thirteen. Yeah, and they didn't have a lot of explosive plays. That was one of the few. I think they had one play of over twenty yards in the game. Carolina had four, so Carolina did a good job no matter who the opponent is, of making sure you clamp down and not giving up too much there. I thought the pressure was good. It wasn't great. And, you know, again, you got to finish. you yeah. got to be able to get into the ground. They had nine hits on foals, but no sacks. Um, I do want to ask yeah. you. Yeah. Are you concerned about the lack of interior pressure? Well, yeah, in general, uh, I, I've i been concerned about that. I'm always concerned about that, Billy, especially coming up with Drew Brees. I mean, that's where your bread and butter is against <laughs> I, a guy like I was just going to say. <laughs> that's where you win. I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked about this when Carolina had success against breeze and, you know, he's one of the better quarterbacks to play the game in the history, but he's declining. And what you need to do is be able to get that pocket moved laterally. You need to get the pressure inside to get him off his spot. The, the edge pressure means, it means something, but not as much against a guy like breeze. Cause you, you mm-hmm. see his game, he steps right up and he's got limited view as far as his height. Uh, if you can get there and you can get into his comfort zone, yeah, that's what you want to do. It's the same thing with a guy like Nick Foles, I think. And they were able to flush him out on the pick. But that was a good interior pressure, I thought. I thought Kerr and, and Brown did a good job there. I think Brown had a, a decent game in terms of pass rushing overall. But, yeah, it concerns me a lot with, with, with Short not being quite what we have seen him. And then he's out now. Uh, it's, it's a lot, it's, it comes down to a, a lot of window dressing. you got to have F.A. Obata in there to play some of the three technique now. And the edge pressure with YGM out, uh, obviously you're relying on Weatherly, who's just declining. I, well, I don't know if declining would be the right word, but he's, I had he expectations that were. has not lived up to the contract. Not lived up to the contract. I think it's a good way to put it. I had higher expectations. I think you had more of a reasonable expectation based on how he's performed. And he hasn't met my standards, but I think he's kind of been what you figured he might be in terms of a uh, lack of impact. Uh, so Brian Burns' brother, Stanley McClover, calling him out on Twitter today and <laughs> just saying. Wait, calling who? Uh, Weatherly, he called him out. He said, "You know, ninety-one's got to pick it up." Of course, McClover played a little defensive end for Carolina, so he's got he's got a bit of a, an idea of what he's talking about. But I thought that was kind of funny, and uh, he, he's been dogging Whitehead pretty good, which is, I guess the whole world's been doing that. We'll get to the second level of the defense here in a minute, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Not to quote John Fox, but they just they're, they're lacking the horses up front to get it done. It burns is. Pretty much like yeah, you I'm, said, I'm he's not... the best player on the defense. He's having to carry that load in terms of edge rush. Weatherly can't mm-hmm. get the edge rush. Uh, Brown's got limited skill set in terms of pass rush, and Kerr is kind of a nose tackle. So they just don't have the dynamic guys up front to push that pocket. Yeah, sure. And this actually brings up a good point because I'm not really concerned with the edge rushers, even if Weatherly's underperforming right now. Uh, I just feel like even guys like Marcus Haynes, they've shown uh, to play reasonably well in rushing right. the passer. Yeah, Haynes is obviously 
Burns has obviously improved to be a more complete player. Uh, but what my concern was, and this is an issue, a team building issue that I mentioned way back in June and May, was that Carolina only had one three tech on their roster heading into the this season, and that was K1 Short. Yeah, and, he's and, <laughs> and for them to rely on him after he just played three two games last season, and he's in his 30s, and now, I mean, lo and behold, he's up for the season now. And, I mean, Kerr and Brown, they played pretty well, I would say, uh, especially against the run. Yeah. But, you know, as far as rushing the pass, that's not really their game. So, like, you know, we can I can sit here and complain about Derek Brown as a player and what he brings, what he doesn't bring. But I also think that, you know, pigeonholing him into, you know, a three-tech world that K1 Short was so successful at is just really not how he's going to uh, be used successfully. And again, I think you'll see him push the pocket a few times here and there, like he did on the interception. But overall, you want your three technique, like a guy like Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox, who you know, shoots gaps quickly, beats a guy with you know some type of rip or club move and gets upfield within one and a half seconds. And right now, they just don't have that. And yeah. and, and they're kind of fortunate in some ways because you know, it, looking at their division, Brady, Ryan, and um, Breeze, those guys mm-hmm. struggle with interior pressure. They're not really mobile guys who exactly, can right. run out of it. That's what you want. And that's what we talked about, I think, in one of our previews coming in. I know you you were on it from the time we looked at the draft, and then you were one of the few that really hammered the point home about Brown, at least as far as the, the regional you know, Panthers media here goes, that, hey, the athletic testing isn't indicative of a Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald type, so let's have a reality check on what we're getting here. You're getting a dynamic guy inside that can you know expose some mm-hmm. run concepts and really be an impact player in the run and, and hopefully he can grow to be that on a consistent basis but yeah he played well effect- on sunday yeah in terms of affecting the pass i think there needs to be some reasonable expectations there and i think fans still at times struggle with that and that's understandable you know he's an early round pick and there's sort of a generic view of what you're getting with a defensive tackle you're thinking okay we we've got a guy that can do it all well, he really can't he just he's not there and i don't know if he'll get there he'll get better of course he'll improve his technique but uh no he's mm-hmm. not a gap shooter he's not a gap shooting guy yeah he's just not that's not his strength uh and, and we get back to the, the the second level of the defense here. When you're looking at obviously the tier here, Whitehead is terrible. He's I, I don't know how he's just, we've talked about this, and he just takes bad angles. He doesn't tackle well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't cover well. His snap count has gone down over the past few weeks. I think that's a positive. Now again, we're not here to criticize a guy just for the hell of it. We're just pointing out weaknesses. And this is a guy who a defense can expose. They've done it. The Las Vegas game. There was a critical penalty. Uh, he has not fit the run extremely well in my view. He has tackled poorly, and at least tackle well. I mean, then he had an open field tackle there where he tackled the guy's towel and let the guy just spin right out of it. Um, and that's what, you know, you're, you're coming off a season where, you know, Luke Keekley retires. Obviously, there's going to be a drop-off. But do you feel there, in terms of the scheme, is it necessary to maybe get him a little bit out of the mix in terms of the middle linebacker position? Do they need to look at a Jermaine Carter? Is there a guy that maybe could fit in better with what they're doing? Or are you just kind of stuck with the guy you got? Yeah, I, I think Carter would be a realistic uh, substitute. Um, I'm just not really sure what Whitehead brings outside of just knowing the coaches right. and scheme. And even right. then, it's not like he's playing well in it to deserve all this, all these snaps. Right. So, yeah, I, I would certainly just use the young guys, see what they have. If Jermaine Carter goes out there and plays well, then you, you potentially have you know a very young, cheap linebacker for the next couple of years. If he sure, doesn't, yeah. then, well, it's an issue that you're going to have to address in the offseason. So it, the upside of using Carter is much higher than using the snaps on Whitehead, in my I opinion, because we, we know what Whitehead is. And it, this is just becoming really consistent that 
I mean, he's getting the worst grades on PFF every week. He's the worst, and, next to worst linebacker in the league graded out on PFF. It's and, and you know PFF. A lot of people knock it, but as far as that grading scale exactly, goes, it's I mean, pretty we, accurate. I mean, it's, you I, and think, I see what we see what they're seeing. It's not they're not even all base even here. even some of the biggest homers with the fan base. They even <laughs> criticize start, the, the eyes are opening up. Yeah, I mean, after a few games. You, you, after maybe one game, you're like, okay, look, let's give him some time. But look, we're six games in now, and it, it's gotten worse. And it's to that point, his snap count has gone down. So I think Phil Snow maybe recognizes that, not to the degree that you and I would like to see. But um, the point about the communication, I mean, it's Shaq's wearing the green dot. So he's the one taking the calls. So I know there's a communication in terms of, you know, lining up and alignments and understanding what the concepts are. But Shaq's making the calls. And, uh, you know, so the communication excuse to me I, it doesn't hold much water. But uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Shaq, he, he is what he is there. I thought he played okay. I didn't see too much there to object to. But, uh, again, you didn't, you didn't see too much as far as dynamic plays from that second level. I think they did a decent job fitting the run from the little film I've looked at. Um, uh, from a scheme standpoint, I know Carolina plays a lot of different stuff. They've been multiple. They've talked about that. It's not just, you know, nickel with two linebackers. You've got Chin mugging up there on the inside, doing a lot of that stuff. Um, as you go back to the sort of the third level of the defense there, uh, I know you, you liked what Russell Douglas is able to do in terms of some of his coverages. And uh, obviously Dante Jackson was back and, and I think played fairly well. What do you think about the safeties and, uh, and corners? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the Jeremy Chin plus the two cornerbacks uh, played particularly well. Cornell had a pretty solid game, especially in tackling uh, coverage wise. He was fine. He had a couple of, uh, issues just containing Jimmy Graham. Um, there was miscommunication on um, you know, a few of those throws. Uh, but overall, I thought Chin obviously had his one of his better coverage games, which is encouraging. And you know that's the trend you want to see as the season goes on. So hopefully he can kind of continue that upward uh, momentum. Uh, but as far as the other two corners go, yeah, I mean, and I think it's sort of a schematic advantage that Carolina is really just putting their corners in. Um, they're playing them a little off the ball and they're really having them kind of not bite on anything underneath. They're sort of just opening their hips a little bit to the, towards the quarterback and really protecting the sideline that way. When, you know, Alan Robinson runs like a six yard hitch route, they can really just come downhill quickly and make the tackle. And they are doing that. I think when you look at, you know, they're tackling, it, it's really good. And that's encouraging. You don't want to have cornerbacks that can't tackle. And this was another pre-draft debate that, I know, I'm going to relitigate the C.J. Henderson, who a lot of Panthers fans won. He mm-hmm. wasn't a very good tackler. And, and for this defense, your corners have to tackle, and they're doing that. So you got to give them credit. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it, we talked about Trey Boston a lot here. I, I, I don't see enough from him, Billy. Am I wrong with that? I don't want to be unfair. Um, I just I know they, they signed him to the contract, and they're, they're, they're leaning on him to – to do everything back there as the middle fielder. I mean, and I, I, I just, what, what's your assessment on Boston through six games now? Where do you think he's at? It's certainly been a little underwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought he was not good against Atlanta and Tampa, but he was good against the Chargers, Cardinals, and mm. uh, he was fine yeah. against. Um, Chicago. So it's been a little underwhelming overall, uh, but I don't necessarily think this is any type of long-term um, issue right now because he's still kind of one of your veteran guys. He's, we, we know that he can uh, 
um, you know, really controlled things in the back end. He has the range to cover a lot of space and yards. And then I think part of the reason why they're not giving up a lot of these big plays in the passing game is because you know, Boston can cover a ton of ground deep. So, sure. Yeah, I like him from that perspective. You know, we've talked about his range. I think he's very good back there, especially in a situation he's responsible for covering a lot of ground. Um, we've seen bad angles at the run game. I didn't see too many against Chicago, but I was just gener- generally speaking, wanted to get your assessment on where he's at. I- I'm not surprised by it in terms of how you view it. I, I don't disagree with much of that at all. I think he's uh, he's a veteran. I think he communicates pretty well. And to their credit, I mean, Carolina, if you want to say that you know, the pass rush has helped this, I mean, they have gotten a good amount of pressure. Again, they're not getting the sacks, but in terms of the deep shots, they're, they're not giving up a lot on that end. They're not. And I think that's encouraging that uh, defense that I, I figured very much that a lot of people had talked about this secondary being one that you could torch with ease this year coming in. But obviously the Douglas signing has helped mitigate that. Uh, schematically, they've done some things to help mitigate that. And I think Boston – uh, for what he may do in the run game in terms of fits. He's a free safety. It's not necessarily his responsibility to be the best in the world at that. And it's just uh, it's just the way it is right now in terms of the way they're playing uh, against the run. I thought they were better. I mean, obviously, they didn't give up a lot of running yards in this game. They didn't. Uh, it's just not a very good running team. And uh, the yeah. run fits maybe were a little better there. And I think Brown played well, and that was a big part of it. As we kind of uh, move on to the divisional stuff we got coming up here, obviously, uh, I think, you're, you're pretty clear on where you stand with, with Teddy, so we're not going to just beat that into the ground here. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to elevate you. I, I tend to agree with that. But he is the guy they're leaning on now, and he's been a little bit up and down this year. And they've got you know a very game opponent coming up in New Orleans. There'll be some fans in the stands, obviously. We'll break that down. But uh, Tampa got the big win. Is it, uh, you, you, you know, there's no one way to fan. We've talked about this over and over. So you don't want to just criticize people if they want to take a step back and try to get Trevor Lawrence. That ship has kind of sailed, I feel. But uh, where do you think Carolina is after week six here? Your general assessment on the team as a whole, how they're being coached, uh, how they're executing. Uh, what do you see for this next uh, window of games coming up in the division? Yeah, certainly going to give a better glimpse of, you know, where they are from a team you know, I guess a record standpoint is obvious, but right now, uh, just looking at some of their advanced metrics, DVOA currently has them at 16th in the league, uh, which is league average. And then if you look at yeah. uh, the EPA team tiers, it's they're literally like right in the middle. They're, I huh. saw that. Yeah, they're right on the yeah. axis. <laughs> the crossroads. So, I mean, they're actually a, a little on the uh, top right, which is where you want to be. Yeah. Um, but I think they're right there. So they're about a, a league average team. And given our expectations coming into the season, yeah. that's certainly they're playing above that expectation as sure. it stands right now. But yes, the next, um, you know, three or four games really give a better idea of, you know, how we can determine the future of this team. You know, the Saints. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to I mean, we'll get into a Saints preview. Then the Falcons, I don't know what to expect. Raheem Morris might, you know, have them playing, you know, better just like they did last year when they were ripping wins <laughs> yeah. at the end of the season right. uh, and then the chiefs and the bucks and i mean that though these next four games are really going to give us a, a good idea of where they are yeah it sure will i think you're right I, I i've been impressed all year by the the competitive nature of the team and their execution in in a number of ways i mean in terms of being able to be in every game in the fourth quarter that's impressive in terms of Getting three wins in your first six, I don't think many people forecasted that. I certainly didn't. Uh, by looking at the schedule, I figured they might be at a two and four, one and five clip by now, but hopefully playing well enough on offense. Uh, but I'm encouraged by the defense, Billy. I am. I, I think it's good to see 
especially with the injuries they've had, especially with the challenges coming in with the first-year coordinator from the college game. Um, Phil Snow has exceeded my expectations in terms of how he schemed these guys up and matching up against some good <laughs> offensive coordinators out there. And I think overall, it, it, it's I don't feel they're in a purgatory. I know there's a lot of that talk out there that, oh, God, you know, this year we go more of the same. Carolina's, you know, dick around at 500. It's going to be that way for the next 20 years. It's way too early to get into that. Um, there's one team right now that's got a clear path to Trevor Lawrence, and that would be the Jets. And I don't think there's any doubt they're in, they're in prime position with the Adam Gase experience right now uh, to land him and go on with a new head coach. But uh, that's, that's a ways down the road. I'm encouraged by their competitiveness and their execution on all sides of the ball. I don't think it's been the disaster that a lot of people had figured. And I think there was good reason to feel like it would be a harder season in terms of, uh, in terms of execution and, and in terms of competitiveness. I, I think Matt rule, like I said it on Sunday morning that I, I it's the coach of the year stuff. It's really early on that, but he would be one of the top five in terms of how I look at it. He's done a great job. Yeah. Six games. But let's see how they do these next let's see, right? <laughs> four or five games. Get an idea because it could, it could take a die fast. You're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially I think, you know, everyone's, penciling in the Falcons as an automatic W, but no, I mean, I don't, don't do that. You know, Raheem Morris had them playing really well. And yep. I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of those players on the team, they're fighting for their jobs. There's talk about Matt Ryan potentially like being traded. So that's a team that's certainly going to, you know, play with its head on fire. And then you play the defending champions. And then you're playing the, in my opinion, the best team in football right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yeah, these really- next four games are really give us a better, sense of the trajectory this team is going on for the rest of the season yeah billy i think that's all fair to 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 say at this point carolina heads into a big matchup next week against the saints they're three and three the saints of course are three and two another nfc south battle i think winning in the division is always important if they can continue to you know set the mark there and get another quality win against a very good opponent that's another feather in their cap to build this program and to move forward but uh, as we move forward to friday we'll break that down with uh with a guest, I'm sure, and we'll talk about what to expect in New Orleans and uh, give you guys a good preview of what to expect coming up here as Carolina takes on the Saints. For Billy Marshall, John Ellis, thanks for listening to The Roar right here on Blue Wire. See you next time, guys. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.